This episode of the If You Ask Betty podcast is brought to you by Alternative Media. Are you working on a massive project and need some help? A&M offers a wide range of professional services from e-learning and training development, comics, graphic novels, 3D model creation, and virtual reality experiences. Follow Alternative Media on Twitter at A-N-M underscore tweets to stay updated or visit alter-native-media.com today to set up a free consultation. Welcome to the If You Ask Betty podcast. This podcast is designed to discuss all kinds of development topics for all kinds of learning professionals. I am your host, Betty Danowitz, and today we're talking with Lee Ehlers about changing the narrative through storytelling. Hi, Lee. How's it going? Pretty good. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Would you help our listeners get to know you a little bit better? Can you give us a quick intro about you and maybe even how we met? My story is a little bit different than the the average, I guess. Um, My entire life, I've been obsessed with storytelling. Um, It's by far been my biggest passion, but um, I didn't know how to pay the bills that way. So it was just kind of always this thing uh, that was that was existed in the ether, but it was never something I actively did. Um, So I I went to college, got a four year degree. Um, I went into law enforcement, was about to get laid off. So uh, I went out and did kind of the um, like every step of the way was kind of the stuff you're supposed to do. You're told to do. Um, even college itself didn't really want to go, but I was, came from a family. That's what you did. So that's what I did. And then, uh, I didn't, wasn't really passionate about anything else. And law enforcement was, uh, for sure, for sure, a good way to get a paycheck. So I did that. Um, and then after getting laid off, did some other stuff that you have to do. And then, um, I ended up discovering screenwriting and I discovered that's my voice. And so for about eight years, I worked in Hollywood as a, uh, a working screenwriter, not a uh, you know bartender that one day will write a script, but some I actually got paid to write. Um, and then we had a kid through in vitro fertilization that kind of cleaned us out. And uh, believe it or not, LA is not the cheapest place to live. I've heard that. Yeah, it's uh, it's about eight times more money than you think it's going to be, even though if you hear it. So after doing that, um, we decided to return back home to Michigan. I started in real estate at about 33 years old. And I've been doing that for the last four years, going on five. So uh, continued screenwriting in the meantime. So still have some projects in development. Do about a movie a year. Um, but that is the Cliff Notes version of me. All right. And how did we meet? We met through a mutual friend on Facebook posting that there's this super amazing woman that's doing this great podcast that a lot of people are getting stuff out of and uh, looking for you know people to interview. And because I have a story about changing professions you know, really multiple times in my life, but also very late, quote unquote, um, yeah. thought it would be something that hopefully some of your listeners can get a benefit out of. Yes. I'm so glad that uh, you, you raised your hand to say, yes, I would like to be on the podcast because I think your story is uh, definitely worth telling. It's worth us to hear it. And then I think you have some, I think you have some insight that could really help those that are in the profession of learning in all the different areas because you're not currently in learning and development. So people might be listening, thinking, okay, why did I ask you on? So you said you've been a cop. You were a, uh, well, first you went to college, which is great. Then you, then you were a cop and then you were a screen writer in LA and now you're in real estate. So those are like massive jumps and changes. Um, Tell us a little bit more about those connections and how screenwriting kind of lived within all of that. Again, I always wanted to be a storyteller and I just didn't know what that meant growing up in Michigan because in the 80s and 90s when I was at my impressionable grown up ages, formative years, if you want to call it that, journalism was the only way 
or it was like journalism or prose. You either go work for the free press um, and write, you know, articles, which is just not my voice. It's just not my brain either. Or you write a book and you try to sell that book. And that's mm-hmm. also not what I do. And so in my head, I was a massive failure. I had this desire, but it's like someone wanting to be in a band and having no talent. It's sorry, dude, you just don't have it. That's really like when I picture myself, that's who I picture as a failed writer. And then it wasn't until I became a, a cop that I was getting really restless. And it was in you know 2005, I went to law enforcement and I discovered blogs. Blogs didn't exist when I was growing up. And so I started reading all these blogs about people who were postal workers and they're writing funny stories or teachers. And I realized like, holy crap, like I can write this way because blogs mm-hmm. are almost the way that people talk, not the way that you're supposed to quote unquote write. And that's the way I write. So I started a blog called officerawesome.com where the, I was the main character, Officer Awesome, because I couldn't use my real name for legal purposes. And I just kind of wrote about the crazy stuff we see in law enforcement. And it did well, like in the sense of like, I actually had readership. People actually told that anybody discovered it would tell a friend. I didn't make any money off it or anything like that. But that was my first like character creation, which we'll get into later. And then when I eventually got laid off, it was the crash in about 2008. It was like, oh crap, like what am I going to do? And law enforcement while at the time a respected profession, it's not a great resume builder. So if I want to go work in sales, it's like, well, what experience do you have? Well, I arrested people. It just doesn't translate. So like there was an opportunity to go to film school. I went. I won a bunch of awards. But um, law enforcement really taught me how people uh, think and act. And it, it exposed me to a group of people like that I didn't grow up with. You know, mm-hmm. We have very rich people in the city. We had very poor people in the city. We had people that weren't my demographic. And you start interacting with them and you realize like their verbiage is different, their mannerisms are different, how they view the world. is So all these things impacted my writing and I could create more realistic characters, not just middle-aged you know, white people raised in a middle-class suburb characters. I could kind of branch out from that. So what writing taught me about real estate, ironically, is you can hire any idiot to write your movie for you or TV show or whatever, article, blog, you're in sales. Like I'm selling and I don't, I'm not selling my product. My product is me. And that's literally what being a realtor is. You want someone to sell your house. Everybody in the world knows a realtor or has a friend or, you know, somebody is a realtor. So I have mm-hmm. to beat those people. So it's, it was like, it seems like these are crazy and I get it. They are very different. But at their core, I kind of felt like they were very similar. And they all prepared you for the next thing. Correct. I think that's part of what's so remarkable about your story is that a lot of times we think we think back on that first job that we had out of college and we think, man, that was such a waste of time. No, right. probably not. It was probably just preparing you for this next thing. And like you said, by spending some time as a cop, you were able to become a better screenwriter. And by being a better screenwriter, you're actually able to be more successful in real estate. And you still get to write screenplays. That's pretty cool. And the biggest thing I would say is I could not get a sales job out of my law enforcement career. Out of college, it was tougher. You know, I could, uh, in some, there was some sink or swim sales jobs that they're, you know, hey, can you fog this mirror? Congratulations, you're hired. <laughs> Through all those experiences and getting older and, you know, a little whatever, it, it definitely prepared me for sure, 100%. And that's kind of my pitch to your listeners is this, you're learning professional, you're changing what you're doing, or you want to branch into something different, but don't let it be that scary. Because you can have all these experiences help you out. 
Absolutely. I think it's safe to say that you've got grit. I'd say so. I don't shrink away from challenges. Yeah, no, you, you persevere. That's for sure. You're obviously a skilled storyteller. I know that you have some thoughts around changing the narrative through storytelling. Tell us a little bit about that. First, start by helping us understand what do you mean by narrative and then how can we change the narrative through storytelling? Narrative can mean a bunch of different things for our purposes. What I'm talking about is what everybody says about it. the biggest thing with sales is, you know, if, if I want to buy a used car, I, I know five used car salesmen right now. What's the narrative about them? What does everybody say about them? Well, which one do I want to go to? So I might talk to my wife and be like, hey, you know, Steve and Pete and Mark, they're all sales guys. And she'd be like, oh, well, everybody knows Mark's the best guy. Mm. Okay, well, how did that narrative form? And so when I, when I came back to Michigan and I, I got into real estate, I had to change the narrative on me. So the narrative on me at the time was, Lee's a lot of fun. He's cool to get drinks with. I'm not going to trust him with the most important asset in my life, my house. Mm -hmm. So I had to set about changing that narrative. And I was 33 years old. I had no like traditional sales experience. I didn't know anything about houses. I know I didn't care about, I didn't own a house. So it's like, why would you hire Lee Ehlers as your realtor? You you wouldn't, you shouldn't Mm -hmm. really. So I had to set about changing that narrative. And so what I did was um, I used social media and storytelling to do that. We had a very massive brokerage that uh, sold a lot of houses. Every time our brokerage sold a house, I would post it on Facebook and Instagram and you know Twitter and uh, LinkedIn and say, look, we, we sold another house. You know, mm-hmm. um, this brokerage sold another house. And so it just became like slowly and surely I'd be like, oh, wow, like you guys do a lot of business. And yeah, we're the number one team in the in the state. We were. Um, we sold this house. We sold that house. Um, well, do you sell houses in this area? Of course we do. These are the eight houses we sold this month in that area. And I never once lied. If anybody said, did you personally sell that house? I'd be like, no, I didn't. This agent did. But what I would do is, again, it was slowly changing that narrative. And so it got to the point where anytime I was out, people knew I was back home and they knew I was back home for a few months only. And they'd see all the success and say, they start asking me questions. Hey, is it a good market? Hey, how that, did that house really sell in two days? Yeah, it did. So now I'm the quote unquote expert. Now mm-hmm. I'm the one everyone want knowledge for. So that's kind of the short answer on changing the narrative, what everybody says about you. So you're really building your brand. Correct. I like that because I think if we think of what is the narrative, I think the answer is whatever you put at the end of, everybody says that. Fill in the blank and that's the narrative. So if everybody says that Lee is the best real estate agent in South Lyon, then that's the narrative. We don't need to change that one. To bring it back to the learning professionals that are listening, I think a lot of times they deal with narratives that learning and development is the ones that keep bugging the employees. Like, oh, you want me to take another e-learning? Oh, wait, hold on. You need me to take another class. Didn't I just finish these requirements? Why am I having another one? And I think a lot of times they fight with that narrative. Right. What advice would you give them to be able to start to change that narrative and build their brand to be more of a partner rather than somebody that's always pushing people to complete requirements? Well, the biggest thing I would say is if you're a boss, you're a salesman. Bosses get told, we want your employees to do this or we want your team to do this. And they're like, oh, they're like, hey guys, you got to go do this. But we don't want to do this. I know, but you got to go do this. With storytelling, you frame everything in a way that uh, appeals to what they want to do. If it's like, 
Hey, everybody, we got a really opp big opportunity here to make life easier for all of us to have more to grease the rails on some of these projects we want to get done, to have more tools in our toolbox. And it's completely free. Sound good? Sound good. Cool. It's this training. It's going to be on Tuesday. Like, it's just changing that narrative on how you pitch your your training. Mm -hmm. And it's again, if it's like, even if you think, look, this training is super dumb, I don't see how it's applicable. Think of all the pluses. Well, pluses are we're going to be off site and we're going to do X, Y, Z. Cool. Like, so how, whatever it is, you have to understand where your employee is coming from, what they want, and you just sure. tackle that. How does the idea of com like compelling characters make a difference in this endeavor? And I say that because you know, as a storyteller, as a screenwriter, you talked earlier about how your previous positions and jobs have allowed you to learn about other other people and maybe the way that they think and act and what that were not part of how you grew up and, and your general experiences. So from that, you've been able to create characters in what? your in your stories that you've told. How have those made a difference in you sort of uh, telling your story, changing the narrative? And then what are some examples that you might have that of, of some compelling characters that have sort of helped you learn or understand something? The easiest way to describe it for me would be like Chip and Johanna Gaines. For, mm -hmm. They are a couple on TV. They flip houses. And that's the show. The show is their relationship, their marriage. You, you fall in love with those characters they're not the only people or the first people or the last people to come out with a show about flipping houses. There's mm -hmm. a billion sure. other shows like that, right? But right. you fall in love with them, so you're willing to go on whatever journey they go on. And one episode of their show is a, you know, think of it as a movie. There's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end. We meet this cute couple. We start off with, uh, we're going to flip a house. That's where the inciting incident is. Then they run into a billion different problems every episode. And it's all formulaic. We all know what's happening. We all know they're not going to go out of business by the end of the show, but you're still there, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so if you want, they're a franchise. So then the crazy part is, you know, I was talking to my wife the other day and she had to go to Texas for work, uh, work conference. And she's like, oh, you know what? We should stop by that Magnolia place. It'd be really cool to eat some of their food and blah, blah. Oh, I just love it. And I was like, that's fine. I'm not going to make fun of you, but just think about this. There's a couple that made got famous from flipping houses. What does that have to do with cooking at all? <laughs> Nothing. Right. But Nothing. You want to go to the restaurant. And it's if you stop and think about it, it's completely ridiculous, but that's what a good character does. You'll then follow, like Paul Newman makes salad dressing. What does that have to do with anything? Nothing. But you're like, Nothing. oh, I like the Paul Newman guy. Yep. Right. Absolutely. So you're absolutely right. So with a learning professional or with a boss, with an employee, whatever it is, if you want to make your life so much easier, you create a character and, you know, it's not, I'm not, this isn't being fake, um, but what it is, is it's changing the narrative. Like, what do you want the narrative to be about you at work? Do you want it to be that you're stubborn, you're difficult? Cause that becomes your character. Okay. Like, oh my gosh, Susie's coming in just, Hey, heads up. She sucks. Yep. Once you have that character that everyone falls in love with, they'll go anywhere with that character and you're in. Tell us what would be an example of a character like that that helped you learn or understand something. So my character in real estate is, my slogan is more than just a pretty face because I'm not an attractive guy. And there's a <laughs> lot of attractive people in real estate, right? I mean, lots of beautiful people and I'm not one of them. So I made a joke about it. So on all my signs, I put more than just a pretty face and all my emails and everything. So then what I tacked onto that was I said, okay, well, when I created that character, 
I was like, well, what else does that guy do? It's like, well, obviously he doesn't take himself very seriously. So all of my marketing was funny, all right, and, you know, and t- trying to be funny, right? So um, my character that I created was is super patriotic, like rides a bald eagle in all the commercials, you know, salutes the flag. I hashtag USA, USA, USA in all my posts. Like everything became super patriotic. Like um, I'm a patriotic guy, but I don't wear red, white, and blue underwear. I don't ride bald eagles, but that just became my character. Then what I learned from that was – um, I could poke fun at myself with that. And I got a lot of clients who followed my videos, my informational videos on Facebook or Instagram, because they really just wanted to see where that character was going to do that day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then from that, I bought a puppet version of me and he became like ultra patriotic and I make fun of him. So now there's like different versions of me, the, you know, the realtor guy. So it, it just expanded in this thing. And, and what can I, you know, what did I learn from it? I just learned that there was people that uh, wanted to deal with that character. So strangers would reach out to me and say, hey, teach me about real estate. Yeah. And, and they kept coming back to see what was Lee going to do next. So my sister-in-law is a teacher and I have this crazy character I came up with, but I always wear a suit. Always. Because it's very easy for me not to be taken seriously because I make mm-hmm. a lot of jokes. Mm-hmm. So I, I uh, had to grab some, something from her in her office. So I went to the school. She's about seven, eh, six years older than me. Um, and she works there. And when I, one of the other teachers bumped into us, saw me and was immediately like, oh, I'm so sorry. And no, this is just my brother-in-law. She's like, oh, I just thought you were a principal. <laughs> because I had a suit on. There's no other narrative there. Nobody told her. She just assumed by one look at me. Sure. Was it, I was an admin of some sort. So that taught me it's not just what you say, it's how you look as well, how you present yourself, and then instantly you have a character and a narrative and all those things go. Yeah, and I think if we can create characters like that and apply them in as we're designing things, it, it will not only will increase engagement where people will actually want to listen, but it, it also keeps them coming back for more and they start looking for it. Right. So like yeah. if, you know, if they were, um, if they were going to look you up the way that they're going to, they're going to Google your name and they're going to look for your face. Because yeah. that's what they have come to know. That's your brand. That's what they, that's the character that they're identifying with. Um, and they may not, they may be following you for two years before they decide to buy or sell their home. And you'll be the first name that they think of. Not necessarily because they know that you do a good job, but because they know you. And yeah. and that's and that's important in sales, but it's also important in learning. So for me, the, I'm going to answer this question too. So a compelling character that's helped me learn or understand something. And I'm just going to go there and I'm going to say Katniss Everdeen okay. from The Hunger Games. Are you familiar with The Hunger Games? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So uh, I'm I'm a big fan of dystopian society <laughs> books, right? So, so stuff that kind of like, it kind of, it sounds like science fiction, but doesn't really look like it. And so like, and there's typically not monsters, of course, then I got to catching fire and I was like, whatever. But my point is like, I like, I like that because I think a lot of times we just think that everything has always been the way that it is. And we forget that things could be so much worse, except for right now, because we're all quarantined in our homes. But anyways, um, but, but yeah, so, so Katniss Everdeen, so 
when I first heard about this movie with Hunger Games, I was like, of course, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a mother. My kid was like 10 years old and talking about the Hunger Games. And I'm like, what is this? Like, I was just outraged that there was this book about kids killing each other. Yeah. She kept talking. She was talking about it. Everybody's talking about this book. Okay, fine. So we were leaving. We were going, driving down to Indianapolis on Labor Day. And so I bought this book and I'm like, okay, I'm going to read it and see if my kid can read it. I started reading it. I made my husband drive the whole way because I couldn't put it down. <laughs> I read it that weekend. Like, I'm not a fast reader. Um, I mean, I'm not slow, but I'm like somewhere in the middle. And um, they kept saying, come on, mom, let's go. I'll be right there. I'll be right there. Just two more pages. Just I couldn't put it down. I, and I was like riveted by it. And I'm like, I can't believe I even like this. But it was something about Katniss that made me like sit and want to keep reading and want to keep reading. So we come home from this trip. I finished this book. I'm like, well, now I have to read the second one, right? Yeah. Because and I read Catching Fire and Mockingjay on a PDF on my phone. We're talking like every time I stopped reading, I had to figure out which page I was on and reopen the PDF and go to it on my phone. And this was, what, 10 years ago? So it wasn't like it was my iPhone, if you know what I mean. Right, right. And I read, I read both of those in three days. Because I was so enamored with her. And here's why. Here's what she taught me. Here's what I learned and, under, and understood. Not all leaders wanted to be leaders. Katniss never wanted to be a leader. In fact, she hated it. She didn't want anything to do with it. And one thing that the movies didn't show really well, but the book did, was how much she wrestled with the fact that she was the Mockingjay. She was the face of the revolution. And she didn't want to be. She just wanted to disappear into the shadows. But they needed her in order to get out of this. And so so that's one thing that I learned and understood because of Katniss Everdeen, who is completely fictional. Hey. I have to remind myself of that because sometimes I think I know her, but I don't. She's not real. But but you see what I'm saying? Like, So if we can come up with this compelling character that people can really relate to, it can help us learn or understand something that we otherwise couldn't. Yeah, it's really interesting you say that because like the – I mean, I could go on forever about this. But the biggest thing I think that people who don't tell stories don't grasp is that – a really good writer, someone that's really good at storytelling, it's a hundred percent truth. And so it, I know it seemed like, well, Katniss is a fake person. Correct. But she was written by a real person. Mm -hmm. And she was written by a woman that there's, uh, you can't tell me there's not a piece of her childhood in there. And people laugh yes. at me when I say that because yes. like, oh, she had to kill other kids. No, but no. she was, so the whole Katniss's thing is, not just I don't want to be a leader. She's like, I don't even want to be a part of society. I want to go in the woods and hunt. Mm -hmm. I just want to be left alone. I hate mm -hmm. attention. I hate the spotlight. She hates the fact that she's pretty. All of this stuff is a burden to her. Mm -hmm. And that's what's interesting about it is that she's reluctant to be a hero to her sister, reluctant to be a hero to her tribe, the world, like all this stuff, right? So that's when you – if you're going to write a character – it has to be real. It, the second it's somebody you feel like everybody wants you to be, it reads fake, mm -hmm. and people respond to that. You're, you know, you're not that way. It's okay to have warts, faults. It actually makes you better. You're absolutely right, and I totally agree with you. There has to be some piece of that writer's uh, past that's part of that 
that she was able to take and like turn it into this beautiful story. I mean, even Harry Potter, we don't have to go into the whole Harry Potter thing, but you know, there was something about her, about Harry that was part of JK Rawlings or JK right. Rawlings. that was part of Harry, like some piece of that. And, uh, and look at what that turned into, you know? And, um, and so, yeah, so, so those compelling characters, that's really what, sort of engages people and gives them that connection to relate to. And I think a lot of times in learning, we are so quick to just get the content in there and move it on that we don't stop and think, how could I tell this or show this in a way that has characters somehow built into it? Sometimes it's somebody who's actually an active part of a story. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's just visually that there's a person standing there that you can relate to or a person, you know, that's in uh, in your in a video or in an animated short that you that you can relate to and that helps sort of not only increase engagement but it also makes you want to continue to listen to what's going on and see what's going on because hey I see myself in that person and so with with this it's the the rule of screenwriting I mean you could take um Harry Katniss and then John Connor from the Terminator series mm -hmm, um mm -hmm where they're all young they're all reluctant they all get crapped on and the entire world is riding on them developing a character check now what what do you do with that character you completely crap on that character and then you keep getting worse and worse and worse to that character that's how they're relatable so i don't relate to a young girl that's a farmer i'm not a farmer who's super who's starving to death i wasn't starving to death you mm -hmm. know i don't relate to john connor being chased by terminators i don't i'm not british i don't relate to here like but what i do relate to is feeling unimportant um feeling mm -hmm. left out feeling like i you know i don't have a place in the world and then my fantasy would be that an owl shows up or a spacecraft or you know a future fighter and says you're very specially and then mm -hmm. everybody else is counting on you. That's pretty much all of our fantasies to be special, right? So, but if nothing bad happened to this character, you'd never root for them or follow their journey. So we had a training video where um, it was a training fail video. And so we showed like a, a comedians trying to do a, um, a conference call and it's like all the annoying people on a conference call where someone's yeah. dogs in the background, someone's like cutting in and out and talking too loud, talking to like all these things. And instantly I related to that character because I've been in a million of those terrible calls. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know what else we could do too, is we could actually make it fun. Right. Like, like it's one of the two. So if we have a compelling character, we have an engaging story and wrapped around it is some piece of learning that we need them to have. Then we can go to them and say, Hey, guess what? This is going to be a good time. And it really is. What are some of the elements that make an engaging story, right? So, so some sort of opener that's got a hook in it, um, something that compels you to want to keep listening, a character that you can relate to. Uh, what else? What else would you add to that list of of things that make it an engaging story? It's a character you can relate to, and then it's terrible things that happen to that character that either the audience has been through themselves. Or the audience, now that they're rooting for that person, they are like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. Mm -hmm. So um, and then again, truth, that's what makes it funny. So if, you, if I was telling a story about this bad training and I was like, oh, and then, uh, you know, all these guys were sitting next to me. They all tried to be my friend because I'm super interesting. And they just they're like, well, training's boring, but you're super cool. I'm out. 
mm-hmm. that's not a relatable character. What's relatable is, dude, I'm stuck next to these two people. I'm trying to make some jokes. They fell flat. Then there was a girl there. I tried to hit on her. She shut me down. I identify with both of those things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my <laughs> boss, he just doesn't get anything. I, I relate to that. So you're telling your – what you're really doing is you're telling your employees, I get it. I get what you are all thinking in this audience right now. I felt, I thought the same things. And you know what? I was right in this specific instance. Yeah. So now what I'm telling you, and then you, so you agree with them, you validate all their concerns and fears, and then you attack at the end with the moral. What do you think the moral was for the Hunger Games trilogy? The trilogy I'm not as, as familiar with, with the first one. Um, I think it's don't trust your government. So the the big thing would be the government's a, a symbol of everything. Like Katniss doesn't want to be. So there's a whole trick in screenwriting where basically what the what the main character wants more than anything else, what they're currently doing will never get them there. So they have mm-hmm. to learn a lesson, and that yes. lesson is what gets them there, right? So um, basically, with Katniss, it's that she's an island unto herself in the beginning of the mm-hmm. book. She doesn't need anybody. But the entire point of Hunger Games, whether it's you know, you have to trust your these boys in your life. You have to let them in. She doesn't want to do it. Then not only that, she has to implore the viewers that she can't see to give her gifts. Yeah. Like so against her character, all she wants to do is shoot arrows at targets. That's it. Yes. Mm-hmm. So now she's like, oh, my God, I got to pretend to like this boy. Ugh. Now I got to <laughs> now I got to woo the audience. Oh, my gosh. You know, and so it's like that's like the entire book is like fighting against that. So it's really that you, you know, butchering it. But it's something along the lines of like, you can't do this alone. You need your community. But then my guess is the second one, because I, I read the first one and watched the first one. And then I my guess is that like the stakes raise again. She's got to trust more people, freedom fighters, yes. whatever. You're she correct. Can't do it. So it just it's just it's, it's like the same message over and bigger and bigger. And then finally, she's going to learn that lesson. Yeah. And the second one, the 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 big line is remember who the real enemy is, Katniss. Yeah. And and I say that I say that to people all the time, like especially if somebody's like getting mad at me. Usually it's my 17 year old daughter. If she's getting mad at me and like there's no reason for it, I'll be like, remember who the real enemy is, Katniss. She's like, mom. <laughs> I'm like, well, just just think about it. You know, I'm not the reason that you're mad. The best thing about fiction is you can deliver a story to your audience, a.k.a. your employees or your boss even, where they would never accept the lesson if it was about them. Mm-hmm. So if you were like, hey, guys, we all got to work together. Nobody wants to hear that message. But if it's like, here's a story about a bunch of people that have to work together and get over their differences, you're much more open to that message. Yes. Yes. Stories make you interested because you want to know what's going on with the characters and you want to know how it all shakes out. Good, bad, or indifferent. Um, And and, and speaking of that, like sequels, let's just just another aside here about sequels. I noticed through my many years of experiencing sequels that anytime I ask people, well, what did you think? They'll say, well, it wasn't as good as the first one. And I always come back with this. Well, of course it wasn't. The first one was all about teaching you who the character is and spending time building up who that is, what their relationship is to other characters, and getting you on their side or understanding where they're at. They don't do that in the second one. It's, they don't have to do that. It's already been established. So it's all action or all right. story. And so, of course, you don't have the same feeling because you're, you, are, you already know this character, so you, there's no buildup to relate to them. People always look at me like, oh, yeah, I never thought about that. I'm like, well, I mean... 
what did you think? Like, <laughs> unless it's like the Marvel series and like Endgame where they're trying to rip your heart out. Right. Other than that, like, you know, I don't really think you're going to get the same feeling in a sequel as you would in the first time because you're not getting that buildup of information about the character. Yeah, and it's also so like Kung Fu Panda is one of my favorite animated movies of all time. Yes, great movie. Great movie. The whole premise of Kung Fu Panda is, you know, he's just a panda and he'll never be a Kung Fu master and blah, blah, blah. So the entire movie is him training to fight this bad guy. And at the very end of the movie, spoiler alert, he realizes he is the dragon warrior and he can defeat anybody in the world in Kung Fu. Cut to the sequel. Well, we just established he's the dragon master. He's the toughest guy in the world. You know, So who is he going to fight now? And whoever you put there is not as interesting because we already know he's the dragon man. So yeah. what I get always asked is the, uh, so another remake, what is Hollywood out of ideas? Ugh. And I get it. I a hundred percent get it. But the, if we're talking about characters, the reason Hollywood keeps remaking movies is because all the heavy lifting is out of the way. The example mm-hmm. is if right now I was like, I need you to, I need you to invest your life savings on me. Cause I have the greatest movie ever. It's going to be books. It's going to be comics. It's going to be movies. All right, here it is. There's a the son of a billionaire, richest guy in the world, pretty much. His parents get murdered in front of him. So he grows up and dresses like a bat and starts fighting crime like a bat. Whoa, he's got a bat car and a bat plane, and he falls in love with Catwoman. You're going to be like, get out. Right. Get out. Get out it's of the here. dumbest idea I've ever heard in my life. I watched Batman. I'm like, yep, super cool, dude. Yeah. So they're going to make 20 Batman movies because I don't have to explain that to you. You just, yeah, he's bad. And then when I, if you meet people now that don't know who that is, they're like, what are you watching? It's like, dude, it's Batman. Yeah. They're like, oh, okay. That's kind of the, again, like you made that character. I'll follow that character anywhere. So now Bruce Wayne's older. He's a billionaire, possibly a trillionaire. He can pretty much do whatever he wants. Why am I rooting for this guy? Mm-hmm. So with Bruce Wayne, you introduced this whole backstory about his parents being killed and, you know, his like, he's just, he's a good guy and he wants to help all these, blah, all these tortured, all that stuff. Um, Katniss, if you met Katniss when that book started, he's terrible. I but, completely agree. So it's like, okay, let me get this straight. There's a chick that's born pretty mm-hmm. and very gifted physically and her biggest, and yes, she doesn't have a lot to eat. But nobody in the town does either. So her mm-hmm. biggest problem is boys like her and she doesn't like them. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like someone I'm not rooting for. Right. But then, well, they're going to kill her sister and she has to step in. And then she's, you know, the poorest district. And then her only trainer is a drunk. And it's like, so the entire book, you're getting on board, getting on board. Yes. By the time they start killing each other, you're rooting for her to live. Right. So, and. Yeah. She's the only girl that doesn't want to kill anybody and blah, blah, blah. I've said that before. Like, is Hollywood out of ideas? We're just remaking things. But the more I think about it, they are. But sometimes they're taking it and they're creating a completely different story. And that has really caught people's attention. Um, Like, if you think of the show Once Upon a Time, they bring in all these characters that, like you said, all the heavy lifting has been done. We know who Snow White is. We know who Prince Charming is. We know who, you know, who the, the, the evil queen is. And then they bring them in and they change things about them. And it drives our brains crazy because that's not right. Right. Like our, we've had those neural pathways in our head is this is what, this is who Snow White is. And she sings like really high and, you know, only dogs can hear her. And, you know, and she lives (laughs) with like seven, little tiny men and that seems odd and then you once upon a time comes on and that's not true at all 
Right. Like she doesn't sing. She has super short hair. Like she doesn't even like Prince Charming. Like what is going on? And that's why people watch that show because it challenges what they already know and sort of takes these people to a totally different level. I'll never forget when I watched that show, the the storyline where Little Red Riding Hood and she she was the wolf. Like she was actually like a werewolf and she like ate her boyfriend. (laughs) Yeah. And I remember watching that and like, I don't care for like horror and scary stuff. It's just not my bag. Other people like it and that's fine. But I remember watching that and I couldn't look away, even though I knew I would really hate myself for watching it. And I was like, but that's not what the story is. Like, (laughs) it's not right. And so, yeah, a lot of the heavy lifting was done, but that's what brought people in and compelled them because, wait a minute, that's not what happened. Like, um, wait a minute, you're saying Ariel didn't marry Eric? Wait, 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 what? Like, and that was like the fourth season and I'm still like throwing my hands up. Like, what are they doing? (laughs) It's super interesting to me because like there's a famous line. I'm going to attribute it to Max Brooks, but I can't, I can't remember if it's him. But so this guy wrote a book called World War Z and it's Mm -hmm. like the movie got made off. The movie's nothing to do with the book, but it's all about uh, zombies and he writes a manual and like how the war was fought and blah, blah. So uh, he was being interviewed and he told the reporter, he's like, so if someone asks you, how do you kill a zombie? What's the answer? And the reporter's like, oh, you shoot him in the head. Oh, you do this, you do that. No, there's no such thing as zombies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But because like it's in our lexicon now, it exists. It's a real thing. Like if if you were walking down the street with your dog and all of a sudden like three of your friends are like, run, zombies. You'd be like, all right. You're not going to be like, well, what's a zombie? Is it a fast zombie? or No, you're like, you right, know what right. it is. It's a real thing. Just like vampires, blah, blah, blah. So that's what I find so fascinating about storytelling is in you know, science fiction, really, but everything, it, it builds on itself. And yeah. so, you know, yeah, like what you just talked about, those characters are real people and it feels like a bastardization of those people to you at first. And sometimes they do it well and you're like, oh, that's a really cool twist. It fascinates me how real it is. And it just that shows me if you can integrate that in the workplace, how much of a powerful weapon that is. Yes. If we could just get just half, like, if we could get 10% of the power that a character has in a Hollywood movie into a a, a a curricula, a course, a series of courses, whatever. Like if we could do that, it would, it would change things dramatically. It could change the learning culture uh, of the organization right. that we're at, because now people are looking for that character, you know, like um, whatever it is, um, t- uh, Tuesday, Tom, like every Tuesday, a, a, t- a top, you guys, if you want that, you can take it. It's free Tuesday, Tom, <laughs> like every day Tom shows up and he, or every Tuesday, Tom shows up in some way in an email or, you know, a video, however you decide to deliver it and gives you a hot training tip of the day. I mean, right. you've got alliteration, you've got, you've got, you know, it's, it's memorable. And Tom, prob- I, mean, I would think most people would identify with Tom in some way. And you'd have to create him in a way that, you know, he matches the persona of people that are actually receiving this information. But if we could come up with that, people are going to then be looking for Tom. And if Tom doesn't show up, people are going to say, hey, it's Tuesday. Anybody see Tom today? Oh, yeah. That's going to make a difference. And they're going to pay attention and you're going to get you're going to be able to get them engaged and listen more. So um, I am so glad that we got a chance to talk about this. And you're right. We could talk about this forever. I mean, I could give you even more theories I have about Katniss. I think she's one of the most fascinating characters in literature that people just gloss over. 
personally. What's cool about it is that to put it in perspective, because I get these talks a lot and then someone implements it and they're like, oh, Lee, like you're wrong. Um, I had the a Katniss level character and everybody didn't love it. Okay. Does everybody love Katniss? Does no. Anyone, everybody respond the way, no, I didn't, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't I don't see myself in her. I didn't dislike that movie or book. It just wasn't as impactful to me. Sure. What about PETA? Like all the guys in that movie, um, none of them really make out very well. So no, they don't. Um, <laughs> they're, <laughs> so sidebar too is it's kind of a, a thing in female-driven characters is the guys get screwed by being in her orbit. If you ever see uh, my wife's obsessed with a time-traveling Scottish show. Outlander. Outlander, yeah. So it's yeah. like the main chick – my wife like loves and she loves Jamie, the the handsome Scottish guy. Um, his life is ruined by this woman. Mm-hmm. Ruined. And it's like, and her husband back home's life is like, she disappears. He's without her for years. She shows back up with a baby. It's like, wait, what? But you still love her. You still watch the show. You don't still do the stuff. So um, anyway, the, the point of it was whatever you're a learning professional, you, you create this character there might be an, and if let's say you're a female and another female character or another female in your office is like, and all the females love it. They all love it, but none of the men respond. That's, that's fine. You hit 50% of it. Right. Now come up with someone for them. Yeah. I, I even still think at the end that Katniss, I'm so glad we talked about this. I haven't talked about this in a long time. Um, I even still think at the end that she is, she should be more grateful than she is. Right. I, and, and it's I, and maybe she is grateful and we don't know it, but maybe she's also just quite frankly traumatized. She's got PTSD. She had PTSD before she went into the Hunger Games. I had to like, like tell myself that like when I'm at the end and um, do you want me to spoil it for you? Because I know you didn't read it. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. At the end when she's with PETA, you know, and they like have a baby. I'm happy because I know how much PETA loved her, but right. I'm also like, I don't really know that you deserve PETA. Right. Not that not that there's competition, but like, I, I don't know. I, do, I don't really know that you understand what he did for you. It's not real. Lee, it's not real. Okay. It, is, it is real, though, because it's it's what it does for you. And yeah. The, and that's why I mean, so what I found out when I was a kid was I went and saw Indiana Jones with my buddies and they were like, that's cool. And I was like, no, my entire life has changed. Mm-hmm. I'm no mm-hmm. longer the man I was or the the boy that walked into this theater is merged a man that will struggle for many years and not make any money. But um, <laughs> it just like changed my life. And I was like, there's other Indiana Jones. And I yeah. watched them and it's like, oh my gosh. And then this man has played other roles. What? So then I watched it. So it it changed me. It did things. And I know it's easy for someone to say that about, you know, movies and, and cinema, but it's like, you can do that with, with workplace stuff and it doesn't have to be this crazy funny sketch it doesn't have to be whatever but if it's a university how do they get people fired up about them like i went to michigan state i'm all about michigan state and i grew up the biggest u of m fan you could ever meet but after going there i was hooked i wear green and white i got my girls involved and all this stuff and that's a university yeah so you can do that in a floor mat company you got to put time into it yes 
Yes. All right. Well, as we are wrapping up, I want to ask you a couple of quick questions that I ask all my guests. So the first one, we've kind of sort of answered this, but I'm going to ask you anyways. Uh, how do you align your passion with your work? For me, it was out of necessity because I would have died spiritually or mentally even if I didn't do it. So for me, it was like um, when I got into real estate, I didn't care about big houses. But what I am passionate about is making funny sketches and writing. So I just created so social media marketing with my character. And at mm -hmm. first it was, it was, I thought it would help. I thought it would change the narrative. I thought it would do all these things. I had no idea it would like blow up yeah. and, and become this whole monster by itself. So um, it became a point where it's like, I was having fun doing all this stuff. And then I was like, oh, and I'm, I'm getting a ton of clients from this. And I like, I would bump into people at parties that I hadn't seen since high school. And they're like, oh, Team Lee, yeah, I saw your video. And they like quote stuff that more than just a pretty face, ha, ha, ha. Um, and again, like this is coming from a guy, I want to be very clear, like I viewed my passion for this stuff as a major curse and a major burden. I never once thought it was cool. So when I got into this, I viewed it that way too. I'm like, Lee, just shut this part off, off. Like stop, stop doing this. You're going to ruin your life. And I realized I could harness it and change my life. Yeah, that's awesome. So what is the message that you would like to get out to listeners? What do you want them to remember? It can be related to what we've been talking about or not. If you're somebody who's like, I need to make a change, I need to either get my employees to buy in or my boss to buy in or my coworkers to buy in or whatever it is, this, what you think might be hokey or dumb or something else can be a unmitigated victory for you. It's an unfair advantage if you utilize this because nobody else in the corporate world outside of like marketing people are doing this. It's a huge mm -hmm. way. It's, it cannot compete with you if you do this. They just can't. If you're B2B, you can still use it to be like, people will be just like, man, that business seems like a lot of fun. Or like if there's three options in their desk, which company I go with, they go with the one that, the, eh, you know what? I've heard of these guys. These guys seems pretty cool. And so this is a, it's an invaluable weapon. Use it, do it. I also think though, I would say not killing off the part of yourself that makes you unique because you're in a quote unquote corporate environment. Mm. So you hit a couple walls with it. I trust me, I get it, but keep at it. Cause it might even be you're in the right company, but you're in the wrong position at that company. Both of those messages are awesome. Okay. How can people connect with you if they want to after the show? Lee at callteamlee.com is my email. Um, callteamlee.com is my website. You know, you can uh, hit me up on Facebook. My last name spelled E-H-L-E-R-S. I'm pretty active on social media. I'm pretty much very active on social media. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Lee Ehlers, for sharing your thoughts today. And thank you so much, listeners. Watch for another episode of the If You Ask Betty podcast out soon. Peace out.